On today's episode, American Gigolo, Season 1, Episode 1, John Barenthal's pilot. That's what we're discussing today. It's based off a movie that yeah. came out in... 1980, directed 1980. by Paul Schrader, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, who also is producing this show. And starring Richard Gere. Yeah, starring Richard Gere and Lauren Hutton. Now, if you look at a picture of Richard Gere and John Barenthal now, like, they're obviously different people, but it's a pretty good, like, I They think, had very similar hair. Yes. <laughs> that was That's the what one I'm talking that, about. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I was surprised to learn that the movie wasn't really, like, that loved. It has a 6.3 on IMDb, 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. However, Richard Gere's performance has been praised as being, like, the best thing in it. Okay, well, so I would say about John Barenthal here. He's, he's the, the best thing character. in this show? Probably. I know that's had somewhat of a kind of like a messy background as to trying to get made, but he was the first cast for the show. I think he was cast in April of 2020. Well, yeah, you need to have the American Gigolo in order to make American Gigolo. You wouldn't be casting around it for any reason. Yeah. And it's- the weird thing to me is that they, like, the movie would have probably taken place, his backstory, if it was made in 1980 in, like, the 60s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is the backstory takes place in 2006. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the same time period that I'm watching in Five Days at Memorial. So at the very beginning, I'm like, okay, I just saw 2006 talked about. So which one do you think portrays 2006 better? Well, this we only get a really quick cut. Oh, okay. It's basically him in jail because Janet Holmes is dead. Uh, John Barenthal plays this guy named Julian slash Johnny. Uh, he changed his name halfway through. But Julian is a mess. He's crying. He has blood on his hands. And Detective Sunday, played by Rosie O'Donnell, is giving him the night of treatment where she's like, you've got two options. One, you confess. Or two, you go to jail for life. Yeah. And so then, like, we get a snapshot of a quick life. Well, going back to that, yeah. how is Rosie O'Donnell in this role? She's very serious and she has like, emotionless is the way I would describe but her. But could you, like, did she do a good job is my question. In this, it's very hard to tell what her character is all about because she keeps on disclosing details about the case to Julian after he's set free, which I feel like she shouldn't tell him because he's not... He, he doesn't have any credentials. But first we get the snapshot of his life as a male escort. He's got a fancy sports car. I tried to look up what kind it was. It looked like the James Bond um, Aston Martin, but it wasn't. Uh, he's got a fancy suit. He likes to wine and dine women, followed by, you know, like going to a motel and fucking them. The, like yeah, the, I mean, the wardrobe department even gave an interview where they were like, it was very fun being able to like do a tech billionaire wardrobe type thing. And obviously they took a lot of inspiration from the 1980 film how Richard Gere looked and everything like that. I don't understand. Is that different than what they normally do? Like nah, not in really. most TV shows you watch, the characters are well dressed. But they specifically pointed it out here. Okay. Were they actually using like really fancy clothes and so it wasn't yes. it wasn't just yeah. like stock stuff that they had in the Okay, all right, whatever. Um weird fact. Okay, so then we take this 15-year leap and he's grown a mustache. <laughs> okay. That's about it. I mean, he's kept himself cut so he looks exactly the same except for just a mustache well in prison he just hasn't let himself go and that's part of the character because he like james and blackbird um has his own cell which is nice but it doesn't have the bars it has a metal submarine style door so he has even more privacy it's a it's that's pretty fancy nice. <laughs> is this a, is this a prison that has like a, a it's a federal course? prison okay because he's murdered someone uh, or uh he's taken the blame for murdering someone and so then uh he's fastidious with like doing his his hygiene his nails his hair and uh he even has a job on the cooking line he has friends in the yard he's been there for a while there's also this like 
you know the prison break um do you remember teabag yeah prison break he was the villain and uh he would walk around and there would be this guy who would hold his pocket basically the prison bitch yeah well they have one of that those here where like he's serving food and this guy walks up and there's this this other guy holding his pocket Mm -hmm. and he's like really mousy and like uh, beat up and stuff and and i was like oh that's that's exactly like prison yeah, break. Well, it's, i haven't seen that depicted in many prisons since, like i don't even remember that in origins the new black or anything i don't but that's supposed to be like a symbolized that he's part of like a head of a group right no i think it just meant he was the dominant cellmate and he was disliked by like you could tell that julian did not want to like mess with the dude yeah. he looked at his food when he was uh, serving him and then like out in the yard the actual like the the bitch like walked up to john barenthal was like you got to help me dude I'm, I'm, and then, and they have these, like, this quick conversation where you're not sure if Julian is going to, like, intervene or anything. But before anything happens there, Julian is called to visitation where he meets again Detective Sunday 15 years again in the future with his mustache. And she tells him that he is actually being set free because the person who actually killed Janet Holmes has confessed. Uh, it was a gun for hire who was on his deathbed and just figured he would confess all his sins, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So then Julian is like, well, thank you. And then he goes home to his mom's trailer park. And that's where we get our, like, more backstory on how Julian even became a gigolo. So how? Originally, his name was John. And in his early teenage years, I wasn't exactly, like, probably 13, 14, 15, he was taken advantage of by his next-door neighbor, who, again, was in this trailer, trailer park. Like, she would ask for him to come help with, like, the dishes or something, and he would go over there and have sex with her. And then his mom was really poor at the time, and even though they had, like, sort of a bond, she eventually sells him to a very tall woman named Olga. So, like, Olga just walks in one day and buys him, and uh, she's called the queen because she runs an escort incubator. Like, think of Hype House. You know how they have, like, in L.A., those really nice houses with the swimming pools and stuff? That's basically what she has is a mansion with a bunch of people, a bunch of escorts who she controls. And so then she's sort of— Sorry, is John 18 by this time, No, no, he's not. So then then Johnny switches his name to Julian, and she starts to, like, be like, you're going to wear this fancy clothes. You're going to meet your friend here. His name is Lorenzo. Lorenzo's a little bit older. Like, like Julian is going to be his protege. And there's this little girl, like three, or no, not three years, like five, six, seven, who is named Isabel. And she informs Julian that one day she's going to be the boss because she's like related to Olga. And she's like, well, one day I'll be the Does boss of you. Does she know what's going on? Uh, to a certain extent, I think she understands the power dynamic for sure. But she's just a little girl at this point. We don't see much of her. And then Julian finds Lorenzo in real life after he's left his mom's house. He's kind of cleaned up a bit. And and uh, he's shaved off the mustache. He's gone and he's found Lorenzo, who is now played by Wayne Brady. Yep. Yes. And Lorenzo is now sort of the manager of the business. He doesn't really interact with the clients as much anymore. Uh, he also has saved Johnny's car. Sorry, Julian's car. Mm-hmm. And yeah, kind of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then offers him a place to stay. So he's trying to be the nice, oh, friendly yeah, friend. I mean, yeah, that is a friend. I was trying to think of, like, Wayne Brady's serious roles, and the only one I could come up with was Colony. Yeah, the Colony where he plays an evil villain. So that's all I could see him from as the beginning of this. <laughs> like, as soon as he popped in there, I'm like, oh, 
I've only ever seen him when he's not on whose line playing someone who's going to backstab you. I remember you said, yeah, I mean, because he played that similar character in the Cuphead show, but obviously that was for kids. It's like the Vera Farmiga. Um, that's how you say her name, yeah. right? Where they cast her and you know that she's going to play like sort of a sneaky backstabber. I feel like the same way here, even though he's playing the best friend, I think because he's so friendly, he's going to end up being a bad guy. Also, we get sort of that disclosure at the end of the episode, mm, okay. but I'll get to that. So then this episode turns into more of a mystery of who framed Julian than backstory about Julian anymore. We still get a little bit of backstory. For instance, we see Julian meeting this girl named Michelle on the beach with his lost dog and them immediately falling in love with each other. And then through one of his actual clients, Gail, because they're having like a little date, he learns that Michelle Stratton, that's her real name, is actually the wife of this really controlling rich guy. And that doesn't really matter to him because he ends up having an affair with her still back in like 2006. And now in 2021, Michelle is shown, we see her life dealing with her teenage son, Colin, who you have to wonder, is he Julian's son or not? Uh, Running off with his 32-year-old teacher, So they're dealing with that drama. Yeah, the Strattons are. And Mr. Stratton is sending a shady fix-it guy to go get his son back. And Michelle is very nervous and and hates that, right? She's like, I I know who that guy is and what he's going to do. So you you got to stop him. And so just as she's walking out, Julian shows up on the driveway of the mansion that she lives in. And she's spiraling. And after a quick reunion embrace, she warns him, you have to leave or else my husband will do it again to all of us. Mm, okay. So that seems pretty obvious yeah. that he's suspect number uno, right? Yes, like yeah. he's he's the guy who did it. Right? But it makes you wonder, like, is the show really going to be that obvious? Yeah, and that's where we were going to start getting other suspects. Right. So then we see a quick cut of Detective Sunday meeting with Julian at a restaurant. And she immediately spills all her notes about the uh, guy who had confessed and what he had told her. He had basically said the guy who, or sorry, the person who hired me was named the keen and johnny hears that and immediately thinks the keen equals the queen right okay yes so he goes and he's like he confronts lorenzo but he doesn't say why he's confronting he's just like i want to get back in to work Mm -hmm. i want to go back to work as an escort as a gigolo and i also want to have an audience with the queen and then lorenzo plays it kind of cool he's like okay absolutely this is great you want to meet with olga but he says it in such a distinctive way that it's so obvious Olga is no longer the queen. It has to be the new girl, the one that we saw at like five years old. We also saw a cut of her, like, I don't know, as a teenager, but like, it didn't really matter. But yeah, her Isabel is going to be the queen. You're sure of it. They get back to that hype house mansion place. She's still there. Olga's still there, actually. Lorenzo goes to find Isabel, and Olga is in a wheelchair. She's very old, and Julian walks up to him. How old was she in the flashback? Like when she was a tall woman, she was at least in her 30s and Johnny is now in his like 40s or yeah, maybe she was in her 40s. She's pretty old. Okay. I would put her around they 70, late 70s. All right. But she's she's weathered. She's in her wheelchair. Something bad has happened to her and she's unable to say much other than they will kill you. Basically the same <laughs> message that Michelle had given him, but from a different set how of much, characters. How much is this trying to be like a horror show? Just without, Well, that was like, probably those... the scariest it got because it was like dark. It, it, it was nighttime and it was dark and you weren't sure if like Wayne Brady was going to pop up with a knife behind him or something. <laughs> But then Isabel comes down the stairs, pops into frame, calls Johnny up. You see Lorenzo kind of just give like a weird nod and then leave. 
and then Isabel and uh, Julian upstairs. I keep on switching the name because it really doesn't matter. He's Julian and Johnny. Uh, she just slaps him around, like literally just slaps him in the face until he agrees to have sex with her because she's like, you want to get back in the business? Well, you got to fuck me first because she apparently had a crush on him when she was like uh, really, really yeah. young and just loves the power dynamic. And so she's suspect number three. I would consider uh, Lorenzo's character suspect number two. And uh, I don't think Olga has anything to do with it, okay. considering where she is right now. This just seems so melodramatic, like the plot you're saying. Yeah, but it also wouldn't really make sense that Isabel was the person who plotted out Julian being arrested because, again, she liked him. And also, she would have been really, really young. Pretty, yeah. <laughs> not, not like not like six or anything. She would have been, like, uh, probably in her 20s when um, Johnny went to, or Julian went to jail. But, like, clearly... That would have been a lot for her to plan out at that time. So yeah. I don't think that she's the one who's responsible for it. So that does push mostly towards either Lorenzo or Michelle's husband. My pros are that they crammed in a lot of backstory into the pilot while also establishing the present timeline pretty well. Sometimes one takes away from the other. Yeah. This was able to give us like it interweave that backstory all over the place. But at the same time, I never felt that I was losing what was going on in the present. I thought that Wayne Brady and John Barenthal are both interesting cast collaborators and seeing them independently act is great, but seeing them together on screen is really cool too. And they didn't overwhelm you with just sex, sex, sex. You see a, a title like American Gigolo and I wasn't aware of the movie. So I was just expecting on Showtime there just to be like overwhelmed with yeah. it. And that's not what they did. They gave you a little bit of a plot as well. And so like that was a cool that was a pro in my book and then the cons though uh this episode was basically the trailer if you watch the trailer you can kind of know everything that's about to happen did you watch the trailer before you saw it yeah if i remember correctly it told you that he was going to be released from jail um for a murder he didn't commit and then he was going to start tracking down his killer and that was basic or the person who killed uh janet holmes janet, yeah yeah and that sort of leads to the second point which is despite the backstory that i just complimented it's also got a fairly simple premise uh, like, why do you need all that why, backstory? Yeah, right. Because the guy just gets framed for murder. Who did it and why is what we care about. And we've seen that happen so many times in these type of shows or movies where you don't necessarily need to overwhelm us with stuff that we can sort of figure out just through context. Right. And uh, Michelle's son, Colin, running off with his teacher at the very moment that Julian shows up freed from prison for a murder that he didn't <laughs> do. Like, I had cereal for breakfast. That's my day. <laughs> this felt really, really convoluted at some sense. Like, I don't yeah. know why they included that storyline. She could have just had a kid who then ended up being his. Why they had to make it that hit the kid at the same time is running right, off with his teacher. teacher. Yeah. That just, I don't know where that came from. It was very elaborate. Uh, it's a con for me. Detective Sunday. I hate to give uh, Rosie O'Donnell like a criticism for her performance here, but like it was very stiff. As I was saying. Yeah. No, people people have kind of mentioned that. I think fact. it was written that way. I don't think it's just her fault. And it gives me the feeling that, like, when we finally get our answers here, it's going to be that convoluted route where they're going to explain it, over-explain it, why every character is doing what they're doing. Right. But then it's not going to feel supernatural. But, but yeah, I mean, overall, I would give the show probably a 6 out of 10. So it passes. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a well-done, like, there's there's money that's been involved in the production, there's the writing isn't horrid 
And again, it was impressive that it wasn't just a sex, sex, sex thing. So are you going to like skip through the rest of it to figure out who the killer was once all the episodes come out? Six out of 10 is not enough for me to do that, no. Okay, well, I will get into reviews in a second, but I do have a game here. This is One Truth and Three Lies because Paul Schrader, the director of the film, when hearing about the series, did either one of these four things. I want to see if you can guess which one. Paul Schrader, yeah, I saw his name pop up there. Right. You know who else's name I saw pop up there? Who? Jared Leto. Jared Leto? Yeah, he's an executive producer. I didn't even I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you might. Okay. No, okay. But um so again, he did one of these four things. Let's see if we can guess. Uh one is that when he heard about the series, he took fifty thousand dollars and wasn't involved with the series at all because he had the rights. The second one is he took no money and wasn't involved in the series. The third one was he took $50,000 and was involved in the series. That's the offer that they paid him. And then the fourth one was he used his own money to fund part of the show. But where did you get $50,000 from? Like all of those seem weird and go through them again. Okay, so he took $50,000, wasn't involved with the show. He took no money and wasn't involved with the show. Took $50,000 and was involved or he used his own money to fund part of the show. I mean, you must have come up with the $50,000. So it has to be one of the top three there. And uh, I would go with B because I just, yeah. B was he took no money and wasn't involved in the series. <laughs> the exact opposite <laughs> way I said. Uh, I guess C then. Okay. I mean, it just seems like it has to be one of the $50,000 one, but yeah. Well, you are right, but you are wrong in which one you chose. He took so $50,000 and wasn't involved with the series. When he heard that they were coming out with this show, he was like, that sounds like an awful idea. Huh. I think then they... Uh, that they wait, 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 an awful idea that they would take a movie, the movie and then he made. try to make it into like, yes. six episodes or something? Exactly. It's going to be eight episodes, eight episodes. Yes, and then they came back to him and they were like, look, Jerry Bruckheimer is going to be involved with this, Paramount is going to be involved with this, and then Paul Schrader was like, okay, I can think about how they're going to make a TV show, and then they're like, oh no, we're just telling you, we don't want your involvement in it. And then, what wow. the, uh, but Schrader's- his, his is a pretty early name, though, that pops up there. Well, executive producer, probably because he was a director and you have to credit the director when- like, that's just, I think, for, like, lawyer purposes. But he did say that he likes John Barenthal, the lead actor. And he also apologized to Gretchen Mull, who played Michelle in this series, because he worked on her with a movie in 1999 called Forever Mine. And he apologized for not making that movie better and said that he does wish them all the best. Um, however, he stated that he's not interested in actually watching the show. Hmm. It, like I said, it has a messy backstory because it was developed by David Hollander, who created, wrote, and produced a show that ran on CBS called The Guardian from like 2001 to 2004, created a show in 2007 for TNC called Heartland, and probably is most... Heartland's still going, isn't it? It's not. It's the TNC. Version. Oh, wait. Is Heartland... Um... No, never mind. Okay. Yeah, and, and then probably his most famous work. I thought it was Heart of Dixie for a second. <laughs> his most famous work is Ray Donovan. Uh, oh, for real? Yes. That, it does sort of remind me of that, the whole fix it situation. I would give Ray Donovan's pilot way lower than I, I think most people would. Most well, people really like that show. I know. It, it even got its own movie. movie this yeah. year. Yeah, that was up for the Emmys. But he, David Allender ended up leaving the project in April due to an onset misconduct investigation. So they gave it to David Barkatz, who also worked on Ray Donovan. He exited the project in May, only a month later. And then they ended up so we getting, got a lot of turnover in the showrunners, which right. is never really good. And even Rosie O'Donnell said that like the creative ship shift during like the middle of this Ooh. kind of made it hard to do. Yeah. Then they gave it to Nikki Toscano. Does that name sound familiar? Um 
Nikki Toscano? Nikki Toscano, yeah. Oh, no. She has worked on The Offer. I think that she was the creator of The Offer. Also, Hunters, 24, Legacy, Bates Motel. 24, Legacy, Bates Motel. Like, all of those type of things. So, the show has gotten panned. (laughs) Absolutely panned. The IMDb score has been fluctuating. It's it's really hard to pan John Barenthal. Like, you've seen him in so much lately. I did enjoy the premise episode we did of him. Right. I, I know that I'm sounding like very like I'm coming out as an no. excuse since I gave it a six out of ten and no, passed no, 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 it. Look, John Barenthal has gotten praise I across know. the board. I, I assumed he would, yeah. but he also was in the what was it the nominated movie, the one with the Serena and Venus Williams, uh, King Richard. King Richard. He was also in that Wired spinoff TV series, the one that came out this year. Uh, we own the city or something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's shown up in a lot of things lately, and I think that just goes to show like his versatility as an actor. So I understand if you are going to attempt to make this type of movie and you cast someone like him uh, to, to, to perform in a role that's already been distinguished by like a Richard Gere type, yeah. that like you, you actually give it a shot by doing that. So, right. I mean, that's at least a good footing to start with. Yeah, I mean, it but has... But what do you mean by pan, pan? Well, 24% are on tomatoes. They say, except for John Bernthal's performance, it is just really bad. The Guardian called it the most pointless show of the year, but praised John Bernthal's looks... <laughs> Huh. They said the problem with remake culture isn't the fact that everything is a remake. The problem is to pad out the protein of the source material with fiber enough to make a TV meal. The so t- I think that they mean, again, this things like the side plot with the kid going off with the teacher. Yeah. Like, what is that doing besides padding runtime? And I think that this next quote by The Telegraph even like it kind of concretes that more. They said it is as subtle as a brick wrapped in cement dunked in concrete the whole entire show IndieWire said it's nothing like the film called the sleazy crime story and said that it lacks a sense of visual identity and time said the sequel misunderstands the film to revive gigolo after 42 years as a straightforward if confusingly plotted whodunit is to fundamentally misunderstand the movie and it seems like the movie wasn't even that liked when it came out originally yeah and maybe if i'd seen the movie i would know where this plot was going like exactly who the killer was and it would really defeat the purpose of like even guessing does that make sense maybe they didn't switch it up enough and that's why people are upset also i can see where this drags like where it would drag later on but i don't think the pilot in its own was terrible i'm not willing to say that this is worse than what we normally watch when we come into a lot and we see a lot of pilots so this would definitely be just about mediocre with the intro, uh, it had like a song called Call Me. And I just found that funny because apparently in 1980, they used the song by... Um, yeah, it's a very famous song. Yeah, and it became famous from that film. Yeah. So they tried to redo it in the intro. Did you recognize that at all? Well, I recognized the song. I also recognized they did one at the end that they changed up too, that they made into... I just forgot what it was, but they, they like to do the Westworld thing where they changed the way that it's sung. Mm-hmm. Just It's like a right. cover version of it. Right, yeah, no. And I, I know that Nikki Toscano, I was trying to get some interviews with her, trying to figure out what she was going to say about the TV series. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are talking about it, even people who are involved in the like, It came crew. out Sunday night. Uh, that's usually a prime spot. But as we saw from the Emmys, HBO, Netflix, uh, those streamers tend to to have more launched in like i guess uh popularity fame right yeah. that's what you can judge by the emmys is what is popular versus <laughs> so yeah i could see where this show just might drop off after a season but who knows i mean new york times they saw it, the whole season all these people I, I think they were given three episodes um but the new york times said if noir atmosphere and substantial production value suffice they give a middling review so that was at least like something good about it kind of like you said it had a budget but they also said it had 
occasional truck-sized plot holes. <laughs> so. Again, if you've only seen three episodes, though, if I was the showrunner, I would come out being like right before anybody even launched their reviews, before they even were sent out the tapes of it or whatever, um, the tapes as opposed to <laughs> digital copies. Yeah, uh, that they would say like the biggest twist is going to happen in the fourth episode. It's going to be amazing, even if, it, if it, that's not true. That way, then the reviewer has to hold back from saying anything <laughs> negative about it because they don't know what's coming and they don't want to look like a fool. Uh, it actually reminded me a little bit of you, that series. Really? Which you could say that you also struggles from the same issues where it's very straightforward, where it, it's not subtle at all. They hit you over the head with a sledgehammer with a lot of this stuff, but it's not meant to be anything other than like a soapboxy, guilty pleasure okay. type show. And that's might be where this show is headed to. All right. all right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.